Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. As beautiful as a church this is, if the church isn't here, God's spirit isn't here. Why? Because today God chooses to dwell in the midst of the spiritual church, the people of the church, not the physical church, the the walls. Listen, Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we are all like a building being fitted together and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord and being, in whom we are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. That that's what the church is. The church is like a building that is being built for God to dwell in. You as an individual believer, the scripture says that your body, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you in whom you have from God, and you are not your own. And then it says, and you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in that body. That you are not your own. That God has purchased you and ransomed you. Now, here's what Jesus did at the cross. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were once far from God. That we were once separated from God, separated by sin, separated by the consequences of sin, which is death. That we couldn't come into his presence. That we couldn't dwell with him even if we wanted to. But the scripture says, you who were once afar off, he is brought near by the blood of Jesus. And he has torn down the middle wall of separation that separated you from him. And no longer is there a wall separating you from God's presence, but you can enjoy his presence at all times. That's what's there for your taking. So there's this new companionship. We get this intimacy with God restored, but there's also going to be a new kind of comfort. Verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. God sees every tear you cry. The scripture says that he holds them in a bottle and that you're not going to have to deal with that any longer. No more tears. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. How many times have you been tortured by even your own choices, by a life filled of choices that only lead to regret? Well, the scripture says that in the presence of Jesus and in heaven itself, there'll be no more sorrow, no more regret. You're no longer going to be vexed and tortured by those choices that you wish you could have back. It says that there's going to be Even here in verse 4, it says, No more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Those former things have been forgotten and washed clean. No more pain. How many of you are looking forward to no more pain? Maybe like a knee here, a hip there, a shoulder here, headaches there, right? All of that stuff gone. Our earthly tents, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, they're being destroyed. These earthly tents are going through it, but we have the hope of a new tent. We're going to take on a new body. And those former pains, those nicks and scrapes and cuts, they're going to be completely gone, passed away, forgotten, never to rear their ugly head again. 
That's something that we can hope in. That's the hope that we have in heaven. So we're going to go from God's hand in this new creation, and now we're going to look at God's declaration. He says, I will make all things new. Verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It is done. It is finished. So there's this declaration, and the beginning of this declaration, it's a declaration of completion. That what I set out to accomplish, I have accomplished. What I set out to do, I have done. A declaration of completion. You guys can write that down, because that next slide will come up. Declaration. Boom, there it is. <laughs> declaration of completion. When he says it is done, listen to this. The word is gnomai in Greek, and it's very descriptive. It means to be born or to give birth to. It means to produce or to bring forth. Literally, it's to change the character of something through a rebirth. That's how God is going to make things new. He says, it is done. I have rebirthed everything. I created once, and now I have created again. And a part of that creation, do you realize this, that God wants to make you new as well? It's not just the heavens and the earth, but it's you. Write your name in there. You get a new lease. You get a fresh start. You get a fresh body. You get to do this with God. You get to walk in this newness with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, where are my new creation peeps in the home? Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. How many new creations are there in here? Right? And here's what that text says. It says, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Right? Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I love that. That's your hope. Become. The word become there. All things have become new. It's the same word for it is done in Revelation. It means to give birth to. It means to rebirth. It means to bring forth from. Behold, all things have become new. He's saying, I have given birth. I have reborn them. What did Nicodemus hear Jesus say? He says, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born what? Again. You must be born anew. If you want to experience this newness, you have to be born again. There's no other way but through Jesus. You must be born of above. Not just born of your mother, but you have to be born of your heavenly father. You have to be born through the faith that you place in Jesus, and then you get a new start. Then you get a new lease on life. Isaiah chapter 43 says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. You get to forget your past life. You get to forget that person that you used to be, and you get to become something new. It says there, behold, I'll make all things new. He goes on, he says, it is done. Verse 6, I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. The word beginning means origin or source. The word end means the apex or the goal. What Jesus is saying here, what God is saying here is, I am the source I am the origination, but I am also the goal, the finish line. And that's who he is, is he not? If we are not running our race in order to reach Jesus, then we're running in vain. We're wasting our time. He's the beginning and he's the end. 
Is he your end? Is he the purpose that you wake in the morning breathing? Is he your impetus? Is he your impulse? Is he your passion? He has to be the end of all if he's going to be anything to you at all. The beginning and the end, check this out, this declaration is also a declaration of satisfaction. He says in verse 6, I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. That Jesus, God wants to satisfy every longing of your heart. In order for you to be satisfied, your thirst to be quenched, you have to recognize your need for water. You have to recognize you need to be quenched. You have to look in the mirror and say, I am a thirsty soul. I am dry, I am parched, and I need God in my life. And when you recognize that, the scripture says, he's going to pour into you. He told the woman at the well, if you knew who was asking you for water... You wouldn't say that. You you would ask me for water, and I would give you waters from living fountains, and it would overflow in your life. Jesus said this in John chapter 7, if any man thirsts, come to me and drink. I will satisfy every single longing. I will fill up that thirst that is within you. He who believes in me, he says, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you want to be satisfied by the Lord? Do you want that thirst to be quenched, because you cannot find that satisfaction in anything here in this world. If you're trying, it's fruitless. If you're trying, you're only going to find frustration. You have to allow the Lord to satisfy those longings. So we see it's a declaration of satisfaction, but it's also a declaration of adoption, of adoption, it says there in verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I love this, because what is happening here is God is literally offering himself to you. He's saying, I want to be your God. Will you make me your God? I want the throne of your heart. Will you place me on the throne of your heart? If you will, you will not Be disappointed if you'll just do this, if you'll just trust in me. Here I am, I'm offering myself to you. The scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his son. He offered his son. He says, here I am for you. Jesus said, I go to the Father so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, the scripture says. He's given the Holy Spirit. The Son has been given, offered to us. The Spirit has been offered to us. And now God the Father is offering himself to us in this text saying, I want to be your God. He offers himself to us, but then he also chooses us. This blows my mind. I will be your God and you shall be my son. I want you. I desire you. You, my heart is for you. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go bear much fruit. I chose you. My desire was for you. That word choose in the Greek, it means to select according to preference. Have you ever gone and sat down at a restaurant and opened up a menu and you can't decide what you want to eat? Listen to me. You are on the menu, and he chose you. You're what he wants. You're who he desires. 
He wants intimacy and relationship with you. He offers himself to you, and he's chosen you if you'll just respond to that call of grace. If you'll just say, Lord, I want you as well. So this declaration of adoption that we are his sons, but there's also a declaration of expulsion. And this is where the warning comes in in this text. Verse 8. There are some that won't be able to enjoy this. They're the cowardly. Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. By your life, are you confessing or denying Jesus? By the way you live your life amongst your working peers, amongst your unbelieving family members, are you confessing Jesus or are you denying Jesus? Because the scripture says the cowardly will have no place here. They'll be expelled from this. It's a declaration of expulsion. The cowardly won't be there. The unbelieving won't be there. The scripture says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you want to please the Lord, you have to place your faith and your trust in Jesus. He says the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, they all have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This list of sinners, you can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can see that in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, it says those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says that some of you used to be like this, but you've been washed and sanctified and justified by Jesus. So your past doesn't matter. It's how you stand today currently in the eyes of God that matters. Amen. So you can be washed clean. It doesn't matter if you used to be a coward or an unbeliever or a liar or a murderer or a sexually immoral person. That's the past. If you've come to Christ, you can stand in Christ completely forgiven. And the promise of heaven is yours. So we see this here. These declarations that God gives and how these relate to each of us. We're going to go now to John's description of New Jerusalem. Verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. So first off, the description of New Jerusalem is it's like a bride. Verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. This is speaking of the brilliance of this city, that it's a brilliant city, like a diamond. It's the description of a diamond. Listen, friends, a diamond becomes a diamond because it's subjected deep underneath the earth's surface to intense heat and intense pressure. And over years, that heat and that pressure collapse upon that matter, and a diamond is formed. Do you feel like you're in the midst of intense heat and pressure in your life today? Could it be that God is trying to do something incredibly beautiful in your life? That if you'll just surrender to his plan and say, God, if you're putting me through this crucible, if I'm in this intense heat and under this intense pressure, it's because you're trying to make a diamond out of me. And you place that faith in him and you say, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust in you because I believe you want what's best for me. God will do that. So it's like a brilliant diamond coming down. Verse 12. 
Also, she had a great high wall. This speaks of its protection. The city's protected. It's a protected city. Now, we're going to read this wall is 216 feet high. Let that sink in just for a second. Donald Trump can't even build a wall that high, right? You see this, this wall here? This building on the outside is 40 feet high. It's five times the height. That's how tall this wall is. And for people who had just experienced Jerusalem being destroyed by the Romans and General Titus, this would be so encouraging and uplifting to hear there's a wall there and we're going to be protected forever, that we are safe in the arms of Jesus. Amen? So there's this wall, a great high wall with 12 gates and the 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city was laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, its breadth, and its height are all equal. Now pause there for a second. Because this would speak of the city's perfection. It's perfected. This new Jerusalem is perfected. There's no flaws there. To the ancient listener, they would understand that a cube speaks of perfection. The Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. And so 12,000 furlongs, that's 1,400 miles Wide, long, and high. If you do the math, that's over 3 billion square miles. That's how large this city is that's descending. Looking like a bride, beautifully brilliant, completely protected and perfected because God has made something new where there was nothing before. And we all get to participate in that. There's plenty of room for all of us. 3 billion square miles, are you kidding me? It's humongous, right? So it's perfected, and we have this perfection to look forward to. We have the opportunity to be in God's presence. Verse 17, he measured its wall was 144 cubits, 216 feet, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. And the construction of its wall was jasper. The city was pure gold, like clear glass. And we can read this list of all of these stones. John's trying to describe what it looked like with human words, but it's something, it's indescribable, the beauty of this place. It's hard for him to even find words to put it into, but it's there for you and for me. Skip down to verse 21. It says, The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was like pure gold, like transparent glass. What is a pearl? A pearl is an irritation that gets inside of an oyster. It's a grain of sand that irritates the muscle. And so in order for that to no longer be an irritation, the oyster surrounds that grain of sand with its crystalline substance, with that beautiful pearl-like substance that women wear around their necks. And over time, it becomes something very beautiful, but it began as an irritation. It's only when it's robed in beauty that it becomes something desirable. My friends, the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 61 that we've been clothed the garments of salvation that he has put upon us. He's put upon us his righteousness. He's clothed us in his righteousness. And every time we come to those pearly gates, you guys have heard that before, right? 
pearly gates of heaven. Every time we come to those gates, we are going to be reminded that all we are is an irritating piece of sand that God has clothed in his glory and his salvation and in his righteousness. And we have all of heaven to thank because of what he did for us. It's nothing we did. Nothing we did. Our last point here, we're going to see the illumination of Jerusalem. Verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no need for a place to go meet with God because God dwells freely in the whole city. And you can enjoy fellowship with him whenever you want. Can you imagine just walking down the street and there is God and you can go and talk with him and have fellowship with him? I mean, we're starstruck here on this world, right? Clint Eastwood and Bradley Cooper come down to do a movie and like everybody loses their minds. We're going to be in the presence of God all the time, so much so that a temple isn't needed because we enjoy his presence continually. We don't go to a destination to enjoy his presence because his presence is there. So first off in this illumination, it's a place of God's presence. The city had no need of the sun nor of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. There's no need for the sun or the moon because Jesus is there, and the scripture says that Jesus is light. He's the light of the world. But here's the troubling thing is that in John chapter 3, it says that man rejects light because his deeds are evil and he's ashamed and he doesn't want to come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So man is condemned because he hates or refuses to come into the light. Listen, God doesn't send anyone to hell. God doesn't banish anyone into outer darkness. Outer darkness is a choice that man makes every time he says, I refuse light. I refuse to come into the presence of God. The new Jerusalem, if this place of heaven is light because God is there, those who love the darkness would not choose that light. And so God allows them to choose outer darkness. You don't want to be in outer darkness you don't want to be separated from god for all of eternity you want to choose light you can't hide your sins anyway you want to come into the light and say this is who i am and this is what i've struggled with but i believe you are a god who is mighty and powerful and strong enough to wash me clean and to set me free from all of this filth and when you do you can be set free and you can have the hope of eternity the hope that we read about this morning So it's a place of God's presence. Verse 24, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. The kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no light or no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Verse 27, but there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This place is also a place of great purity. And understand, my friends, that you cannot be pure in the eyes of God apart from what Jesus did on the cross. And so if you have not placed your hope in the finished work of the cross, if you have not called out to Jesus and said, please save me from this sin, you will not be in heaven because it's a place of purity And if you are impure, you cannot be there. The scripture says in Habakkuk that God is of purer eyes than to behold evil, that he cannot look upon evil. 
So if that's the case, what am I to do if I'm a sinful person? What am I to do if I have sin in my heart? What am I to do if my life has been ravaged and destroyed by bad choices and bad decisions? Simple. The scripture says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.